0: Do you love budgeting and giving up the things you love to save more? Does the lack of funds cause you to stress? If so, you are not alone. When Gordon Stein lost his executive role, he owed $555,000. He had three young children and was looking for a new high-tech executive role in the middle of the tech wreck recession in the early 2000s. Today, Gordon is going to share his Cash Flow Cookbook, $2 Million of Financial Freedom in 60 Easy Recipes. Gordon has my attention and I suspect he has yours as well. Stay tuned.
1: Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel?
0: Hi, and welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. My guest today is Gordon Stein. He is an international keynote speaker, blogger, personal finance expert, and author of Cash Flow Cookbook, $2 Million of Financial Freedom in 60 Easy Recipes. He delivers transformational talks that help people crush their number one stress. Their finances. His mission is to improve financial wellness and help his audience regain focus, balance, and joy in their lives. Gordon combines his trademark wit and no BS style to speak with employee and association groups, financial advisors, and the media about a breakthrough path to financial wellness with no risk, minimal effort minimal sacrifice, and no budgeting. Well, welcome, Gordon, and that sounds like an impossibility. So we are sitting on the edge of our seats to hear what you're going to share with us today.
2: Thanks so much, Carol. A real pleasure to be here.
0: So let's start with your story. Start from when you lost your job and didn't know what to do or any other place that you would like to start.
2: Yeah, it was, I mean, a lot of people have been through a similar story, but um, this would have been back in the early 2000s and uh, doing very well in an executive role. I'd just finished winning the Office of the Chairman Award with this company. Uh, they had tripled my stock options huh. and, and the future just looked brilliant. Uh, and we just bought a uh, new home at the time and actually, I think a new vacation property as well. just the way the timing happened to be. And then as can happen, a number of people moved in the company. The head of HR, who I knew very well, um, left the company, um, and then my immediate boss also was terminated from the company, and then they brought in um, someone new from Europe, and as often happens, he brought his own team with him, and uh, so I was literally suddenly out on the street. It was uh, in January, and I had to wait around till 7 o'clock for a meeting with uh, this new leader. And uh, at which point he informed me that I was, you know, losing my job and he was oh, bringing in his own team. And it was a snowy night in January. And uh, it was in the middle of that, what they called the tech wreck at the time. This huge fall off in technology. All the dot coms had gone uh-huh. bust at uh-huh. the time. And, you know, all the companies who were providing, you know, computer gear had really fallen into some dark times. So lost my job. Uh, at that point, I had pretty healthy mortgages, about $550,000 in total. (laughs) It was the worst of all possible times for this to happen. Uh, In many respects, three young kids and uh, all their activities and everything. And um, so I, you know, had to get out looking for a job. And so I'd get up early in the morning, get up at about 6.30. I went for a a five or a 10-kilometer run every morning just to deal with the stress and the anxiety of the situation. And then I started calling on companies, you know, looking for a new position. Um, And just, you know, they were almost laughed at me, given the state of the economy, particularly in the technology sector. And then I went out to some search firms. And uh, one of them in particular was at the search firm, and the place was empty. There was no headhunter sitting at the desk. And I said, where are all the people? And they said, there are no jobs. We're to get rid of everyone. Oh, my goodness. And the clock's ticking. On my severance package, as you can imagine. Right, right. And I just doubled down. I tore up the phone every day and, uh, and managed to land a position. But, you know, it struck me how quickly you can go from being in great financial yes. shape. Yes. <clears throat> literally overnight, everything can change. So I'd always been interested in personal finance and, um, you know, done a lot of studying on it. But, once I got back on my feet again, got a new role, I really decided to double down and make sure my finances were shored up, you know, really try and insulate myself from being in that kind of a position again, which is just not uh, a lot of fun. And I'm sure lots of your listeners can relate. So that was, the, uh, that was the story. And no looking back since then, you know, got a new position and got things shored up. And I have to say there was a lot of very, very dark times you know rejection after rejection after rejection this massive wall of debt how do you ever get out of this problem and you know and at the perception of the time this this recession could take two three years to clear up Mm -hmm. and there literally were almost no positions almost nothing out there
0: so how did you handle it emotionally
2: it, it was an extremely tough time. It really was. Um, the running helped a lot. I've always been into uh, physical fitness and getting out every morning, getting up early set an alarm and I just got in a run. Sometimes it was five kilometers, which is about three miles, sometimes more like 10 kilometers, which is six miles. And I needed that just to you know reset my mental health, quite frankly. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then the other part was taking action. You know, you can be incredibly anxious, but right. it's hard to be anxious while you're taking action. So, and life throws you these curveballs. I don't know that they ever go away. Everyone has them a different, could be a health problem. Uh, you know, it could be an issue, a member of your family, could be a financial thing, could be a career thing. There's all kinds of things, and we never quite know what's right around the corner. And being able to be solid mentally, and to be able to face that challenge, I think burning off some of that excess cortisol with some uh, exercise is a great way to do it. That's one of my go-tos for sure. And more recently, um, meditating. It makes a massive difference. And I kept saying to myself, this is great. I need a job. I've got a <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and no matter how much breathing I did, I didn't get me any, any closer to a job. You know, my advice on that one is the exercise the meditation, and then build a plan. What's the steps that you need to do to get out of this problem? What can you control? What can you change? What activities can you do right now that'll move things forward?
0: Now, is that the pivotal point?
2: Um, that was kind of the, the pivotal point. I mean, I, you know, I'd followed with some exercise uh, regimes, I'd say pretty much my whole life, but the meditation really kicked in and I got into it at this point. And, uh, but at it, I can't say, you know, that rigorously or that, um, you know, regularly, but, um, it it really does make a difference. It really does change your mind. So that was kind of the the kick in point for me, for sure. After my run, I'd get showered up and I would be at my desk by, you know, 730 or eight. And I just work the phone because one of the answers to all of these things is putting in, having a great plan and then putting in a Herculean effort against that plan. And it's remarkable what you can do with effort. And that's true whether you think you have the skills in the area or not. Sometimes you just gotta muscle in and put in the effort to get things to change or to drive results.
0: What I want to ask you before you continue with your story is mm-hmm. some people are thinking possibly, well, that's fine that that he can do <laughs> that. I have problem with that or they may not have that kind of discipline or they may concentrate too much on the problem instead of a solution. How would you address that?
2: You know, I think people have, it's a great question, Carol. People have so much limiting talk in themselves. It's unbelievable. I'll give you a bit of a side example on this. And it relates to when we first got on our call here, you commented on all the guitars on my wall. And people, um, i have got there's five of them hanging back behind me. And people, <clears throat> they usually say one of two things. They either say, you know on a Zoom call they go wow what a great virtual background <laughs> I say, well it's not virtual those are those are my actual guitars and the other thing people say and I find it interesting they say to me wow you're so lucky that you're musical it would be great to be able to play an instrument
0: hmm interesting and,
2: and i just find that that style of thinking is really so foreign i have no musical gifts whatsoever <laughs> i'm i'm living proof that literally anyone can pick up a musical instrument put in some work and there's lots of work involved and it's unbelievably satisfying. Anyone can play an instrument. People say, Oh, well, you run, that's good for you. I'm like, I'm just not a runner.
0: Uh uh
2: Uh, You know, I I absolutely wasn't a runner. I couldn't run more than three or four blocks. And then at one point, um, somebody had said to me, you know, what would be a great thing for you to do is go run a marathon. And I said, well, I'm not a runner. I can only go three or four blocks, but, but that's nonsense. Unless you have, you know, some sort of, Gross uh, anatomical, you know, issue of some sort. Um, yes, you absolutely can go run a marathon. You can learn to play any kind of an instrument. There's really nothing that we can't do as people, and it's a matter of challenging yourself. Right. You can go far. We can go much, much farther. I think the Navy SEALs have an expression, you know, that when you're absolutely flat out, you don't think you can do any more. There's still seventy percent of you left to wow. go. Wow.
0: Say that again. I like that.
2: Yeah, I might have it wrong. (laughs) My understanding is the Navy SEALs have this expression that when you think you're absolutely done, you have nothing left in the tank. You can't go an inch further. Their concept is you still have 70% left to go.
0: So that becomes a mindset, I would think.
2: It it, it absolutely is. And I've just seen it so many times in my life. Um, You know, there's a longer story when I was running, when I actually ran the New York City Marathon. And toward the end of it, you know, it was a big hero, personal hero day for me. I'd worked so hard for months and months of training. And I thought the hero in the story was me. But I was so wrong because at about the 20-mile point, I saw these runners. And they had these jackets and it said uh, Achilles Track Club on the back. And they looked from a distance like they were holding hands while they are running. I thought, what is this? And I get up closer and it dawns on me, these are visually impaired. These are blind runners. And they're being guided for a 26-mile, 385-yard run. And, you know, my perception instantly changed. I was not the hero. These visually impaired runners, if you can imagine, you can't even see. You can't see the mile markers. You don't know what the time is. You know, how many seconds per mile? What's your pacing? Is there a hill ahead? You don't know any of that. You're completely dependent on a guide. And it was just such an incredible realization. So, you know... People say, oh, I can't run a marathon. You know what? There's people who can't even see who exactly. run marathons. What a terrific you know, analogy. I do some skiing and some racing. Sometimes you'll see blind skiers, and they've got somebody who's skiing behind them, calling out the terrain and telling them what to do. Amazing. We're, we're, anything is possible. <laughs> I'm sure you agree with that.
0: Absolutely. And what a terrific analogy. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to take a short 15-second break, and when we come back, we're going to t- have you share with the audience how they can turn their financial situation around as well. Stay tuned. Sounds great. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Today I'm speaking with Gordon Stein who just shared his story regarding his financial crisis and, and if you have been listening you will totally be able to relate I am sure because I think all of us Have issues with finances at some point in our lives, unless we're born with a silver spoon in our mouth, right? That's right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to move forward now and learn how, first of all, through what you're going to share with us today, and of course, more importantly, your book. So let's talk about your book. Tell us the name again, which I think is an incredible name.
2: Yeah, the book is called Cash Flow Cookbook. And the whole premise behind the book, uh, Carol, is, you know, there's so many personal finance books out there. And, you know, you've right. got to save 10%. You've got to give up everything that you love. You know, you've got to shop at four different grocery stores. Uh-huh. You've got to clip coupons. And you got to make your own cleaning products. You know, I just, like, really? <laughs> I don't want to give up the things I love. You know why? <laughs> because I love them. You know, on my wall, I've got five beautiful guitars in the garage. I've got top flight Kayaks. I own, I think it's four bicycles, beautiful bikes. You know, I go to a concert, I get great seats. I don't want to give up anything. Mm. But, and yet there's thousands of dollars a month that people miss out on. And that can lead to a million or more, many cases two or three million incremental amounts of wealth at retirement. And that was the whole premise behind my book, Cashflow Mm. Cookbook. How can the average person? doing no budgeting, with minimal effort, minimal sacrifice, and no extra risk, add a million or more to their wealth at retirement. And that's what Cashflow Cookbook's all about, and it really works.
0: And what is step one?
2: Well, I'll tell you a little bit about how the book came to be, because I think that's important. Um, It started um, when a friend told me about a way to get free car washes, (laughs) <laughs> and uh illegally. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And it was really about a particular gas retailer and their loyalty program. And, you know, it involves an app that you save up the points and you get free car washes. Well, it was pretty slick because it involved at the time a little keychain dongle, a little thing that goes in your keychain, and you touch it to the gas pump and it's connected to your credit card electronically. So it pays for your gas and it automatically tracks these points. And so I thought, well, that's pretty cool because it's actually an easier way to pay for gas. If you're in a cold climate in January, Uh you don't take your mitts off, you don't follow with your credit cards, you got your keys in your hand anyway, you just touch into the pump, you get the points and you get the free car washes. So $25 a month, you know, nice, but not a big deal. Uh It's not going to change anyone's finances, but the key is it was so easy. And I started thinking about, I wonder what else there is. And then I heard this jingle on the radio uh, at the time, and it was for a discounted home alarm monitoring company. So if you're in with one of the big names in security, when your contract uh, expires, you can switch to one of these discounted home alarm monitoring. And interestingly, it saved another $25 a month. Not a big deal, but it was a 10-minute phone call. They came and switched over to their system. And, you know, I was worried, is it actually hooked up to the police? Uh, okay. At the time, I, <laughs> I had three teenagers, um, so I found out very quickly it, it is indeed hooked up to the police. <laughs> it, uh, it really does work. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, that was, you know, that was great, but that inspired me, and I started gathering up all of these ideas. And I built this list of it went up to about 120 ideas, and I winnowed it down to the best 60. And the criteria was it has to be as easy as what I'm doing now, has to save at least twenty five dollars a month, and I got the best Hmm. ten ideas in each of six different spending areas.
0: Wow, I'm interested.
2: Yeah, and incredibly, (laughs) the total was thirteen thousand dollars of monthly savings. That's and people, people always say to me, you mean yearly? I said, no, monthly. <laughs> and so then the next question is always, well, has anyone actually saved the full $13,000? And I, I don't know of anyone who has, <clears throat> because typically people would you know, read the book. They'd look through these. I call them recipes. The whole book is done like a cookbook. It's yeah. easy to read. And you can flip through just like a real cookbook. You might look at a particular recipe and say, yeah, oh, no, I'm already doing that. Or you might flip a few more pages and say, oh, I don't even spend in that category. But for most people, there'll be 10, 12, 14 recipes where they'll go, wow, I didn't even think of that one. So all of these things, simple changes to make, often they're a one-time adjustment, a different way of buying something. Um, In some cases, it's about conserving, ways of conserving on things. In other cases, it's about um, comparison shopping. And some of the recipes don't involve giving up anything. Don't involve changing anything, but it's something to look into and you change something in the underlying uh, sort of fabric of your finances and that too can make a big difference. So that's the concept behind the book. I I took this uh, list, but then I made it a spreadsheet because I was curious, hey, how much would these things save uh-huh. if you took the monthly savings, invested it at 7% over 10, 20 for 30 years. And the numbers were remarkable. And when I took it to my account and I said, hey, can you check over the math? He looked it over and he said, you know what? The math's fine. This would make a great book. <laughs> and that was <clears throat> that was how it all started. And um, it was going to be a novel. I had my characters and I, you know, the foes and the heroes uh-huh, and the obstacles, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, the whole thing. And um, I sat down to write it. It just didn't fit as a novel. I was so frustrated and I thought, ah, geez, I'm never going to make this thing work. And then here was another obstacle. And under my breath, one day I said, it's more like a cookbook. And then I went and I said to myself, oh, my goodness, it's the cash flow cookbook. And I love alliteration. And that's how it came together. So um, it started as a Canadian edition of my native Canada, uh, since moved to Ohio. Um, So I did up a complete rewrite pretty much as a U.S. edition and then more recently I've just redone the Canadian edition it's now on its 7th printing
0: Oh my word Mm -hmm. Along with that, is there one particular thing that people would maybe never guess to do where there is maybe a greater reward by doing it than some of the others one that really stands out
2: There's so many of those, but I will give you one that's quite interesting to me. And this is one that escaped me two years of research to write the book. Um, And the book went through six printings before I stumbled onto this particular recipe. And it is one of the biggest ones in the book, incredibly powerful. And most people completely miss it. Ironically, I completely missed it. So let me lay that one on you. Sure. So when I, um, you know, came to the U S and I thought, geez, I better, you know, I had to go get a driver's license, take a driving test. And, um, you know, I thought, geez, I got to get a credit card. Well, so I thought, great, you know, I'll just apply for a credit card. Well, I started getting turned down. I'd never been turned down for a credit card in my life. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> and then I said, well, can you just give me a lower limit? Kept going down, down, down. and The answer was always no. I thought you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. So, um, it was a bit humiliating. <laughs> so, um, then I went to the bank, and finally the bank said, well, here's the thing. You have no credit rating. I said, are you kidding me? I've bought and paid off probably eight homes, cottages, y- you name it. And they said, well, you have no credit rating here in the U.S. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't realize that they don't transfer. But that got me learning about uh, credit ratings, which I had <laughs> no inkling about. It sounds kind of boring, a credit rating. Never worried about it. Never thought about it. Here's the thing lots and lots of people have errors in their credit score. Uh And, you know, there's credit cards that you closed off a long time ago that never got updated. So what's reflected in your credit score could be very, very different from what your credit score actually should be. And there may be things that you're doing that aren't necessarily bad, not necessarily like you're not paying off bills Uh or Uh any of those kinds of things, but, you know, your credit mix. And, how frequently you're applying for new credit cards. All of these things can change your rating. Here's the part that's remarkable. Your credit score can change the total interest cost of a loan by a remarkable 70%, 70%. Oh, my percent. word.
0: Unbelievable.
2: Not done. can change the cost of your car insurance by a remarkable 30 to 50%. And same thing with your home insurance. So we can have a situation, Carol, where you and I have – Identical incomes, identical backgrounds, identical jobs, all the rest of it. I have a few errors in my credit score. I could be paying four hundred dollars more for my mortgage. Huh. I could be I could be paying, you know, a hundred dollars more a month on my home insurance, hundred dollars a month on my car insurance. So we can have a total difference of five hundred or more dollars because of a difference in our credit score.
0: So where does somebody start to change that?
2: You would start by <clears throat> getting a copy of your credit score and seeing what's in it. So you can work with your bank or a company like Experian. Um, if there's errors, you can reach out to the credit scoring company and get them changed. There's companies who will actually help you to, um, you know, fix your credit score. Uh-huh. There's lots of great information online about, you know, how credit scores are calculated, what to do differently to improve your credit score. But the differences are really quite remarkable. And because just as an example, I didn't have a credit score at all. So I've built mine up now. I now (laughs) have a a good credit score for three years. But then I went back as I learned about it. I went back and reshopped my car and home insurance, saved $2,000 a year. Wow. That's pretty remarkable. And probably, you know, maybe a better provider. And I actually did that while tripling my liability coverage. So it was apples to apples, but it was even better. You know what I mean? I ended up with a better set of coverage. And one of the biggest drivers was my credit score. So you can go online and, and have a look at my FICO and you'll see the difference in credit scores uh-huh. and interest rates that you might pay, for example, on a car loan. So for a typical person, you know, maybe you have a couple of car loans in the household, a mortgage, car insurance, home insurance, all of these things could be changing by $100, $300 a month.
0: Simple and basic. This is, I think, what your entire book is, if I'm guessing correctly.
2: Yeah, that's the idea. So the book comes in two parts. So the first part of Cashflow Cookbook, um, I call it The Banquet, because it gives us an overall picture. And we take a look over the shoulder of this couple. They're 40 years old, Eric and Keisha. And they make a series of financial discoveries. So they find ways to reduce costs of different things. It's minimal effort, minimal sacrifice. They don't do any budgeting in the entire book. They just make these simple changes. But here's the key. Right away, they take the savings that they free up. I call it savor the savings. So they're going to use that freed up cash for something productive. They pay off some credit card balances to start. And then they start giving more and more of this cash flow to their wealth advisor, Wanda. And she invests it, and that's where the real magic happens. So Eric and Keisha they free up um, about three hundred dollars initially, in some of their you know ongoing expenses. They realize they've no, they've got a satellite radio subscription they're not using. They switch to online for gym classes, switch to online for music classes for one of their kids. They reshop their life insurance, simple things like that, and that frees up about three hundred dollars. And then they start going through and they grind through all of their bills. And by doing that, they free up another $500 a month. So it's quite remarkable. And this is on sort of their hard bills, the usual monthly bills that we pay. And then they turn their attention to some of their, you know, sort of soft costs, things like clothing, groceries, dining out, drinks, et cetera. And they start to realize what they're spending. And they make, again, some simple adjustments. They don't give anything up. It's all just simple improvements to what they're doing. And that frees up another $600. So in total, they free up $1,800 a month without changing their lifestyle, not one bit. So that's remarkable, even more remarkable. They invest this monthly freed up cash flow at 7% over 25 years. And the projection is they'll retire with an extra million and a half dollars.
0: Wow. Amazing.
2: And they didn't give anything up. They don't do any budgeting. And throughout that whole part, we look at a way that they can streamline their banking as well to, you know, reduce or maybe even eliminate some spousal arguments about money. Not that any of your listeners might have any of those. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So anyway, it's an interesting journey. And we start to see that. And then... That really gets people motivated. And then we move on now to part two of the book. And these are the recipes. So there's 10 in each Mm. of the key areas of spent. Housing, transportation, food, household, lifestyle, and financial.
0: Is that any different in Canada? Because you were from Canada. Do the same things apply, do you think? The same principles, the same basic recipes?
2: Yeah, the concepts don't change at all. Um, a few things change between the Canadian and the U.S. edition. So one, of course, is the spelling, because people of either country <laughs> get <laughs> get irate if you use Canadian spelling in the U.S., vice versa. Um, the cultural references are all uh, different. So the couple in the U.S. edition, um, they meet at a Cleveland Browns game. And um, Keisha is from Cleveland, and she's sitting next to somebody who's, you know, festooned in Steelers colors. of course big rivals but he turns out he's moving here and eventually they get married and they become a couple, it's the same couple in the Canadian book but of course Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. in Toronto at a Leafs Mm -hmm. game Right? so uh, there's some cultural references and then the financial instruments are different so what we know in the US is a 401k and a Roth IRA, in Canada those would be similar to an RSP and a TFSA Okay. so those kinds of things are different, mortgage interest rate calculations are different and some of the recipes themselves are different. Um, there's a couple that relate to healthcare here uh, that offer significant savings. We can talk about those, and of course, those don't really work in Canada, uh, given the nature of you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know healthcare is kind of included. Let's call it. Um, so those things are different, and there's things in Canada uh, that you can do that can provide savings. As well, so there's a few of the recipes that are different. Uh, the math is different. And some of those financial instruments different. And it just it reads better for a Canadian or an American.
0: So regarding reviews of your uh-huh. book and possible people who have shared how their lives were changed, can do a couple stick out to you?
2: Yeah, there there is. Um there's a few so credit unions to help out their clients, free up more cash flow for investing. Um So there's an interesting uh, testimonial from Jamie Coulter, the CEO of Raymond James. And he said, Cashflow Cookbook stands out among personal finance books. It's a nice fit for wealth advisors who want to add real value to their clients, increase their savings rate, and help them build wealth faster. I recommend it as a key component of the financial planning process. So it's interesting because his perspective is one of, hey, we're serving our clients. We're trying to help them grow their wealth. But a big part of that is, helping them increase their savings rate, minimal effort, minimal sacrifice. So that's really important. A lot of people in the reviews of the book, uh, the most common thing, in fact, with the test readers in the U S um, what they all said is they all said, but it's so easy.
0: <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Exactly.
2: And, yeah. And some of the stories are interesting. There was a gentleman who reached out to me and, um, He had hit, how old is he now? I think he was 45 or 50 years old, six-figure earner. He had no wealth, (laughs) no wealth. He'd been rolling paycheck to paycheck. and, And so, you know, we got an interesting conversation. I said, well, what about your, do you have a, like a matching 401k at work? And he said, yep. And I said, okay, well, how much do you have in that? And he said, nothing. I said, well, you didn't contribute, even though it's a matching 401k, your company's you know putting up some matching dollars i said why would you not have contributed to that i don't have the cash flow so here he is uh-huh. you know middle-aged state um finite number of years left that he would likely want to work and um and nothing saved which sounds remarkable 64% of americans have less than $10,000 it's hard to believe so that's the position that he was in so um just out of interest and curiosity and to help him out. He was a very nice gentleman, very complimentary in the book. So we went through and um, figured out which of the recipes would work for him. He freed up uh, $500 a month, handful of very simple changes, minimal effort, minimal sacrifice. And he was projecting to retire with an extra half a million dollars. You know, it was pretty heartwarming to see somebody who was really going to be headed for a lot of uh-huh. considerable financial pain. And he's going to make a, a few simple changes, And um, it makes a really massive difference.
0: Now, considering the direction that we are seeing the economy go, what do Mm -hmm. you advise as far as investing in gold or silver?
2: You know, I don't make any specific investing uh, recommendations. And, you know, for people to get that, I really recommend people work with a wealth advisor. Um, Fair enough. You know, I could, I could comment personally and I would say personally, I'm not a fan of gold and silver. You know, it doesn't produce anything. It just sits there. If there's a replacement for gold from an industrial perspective, then, you know, what happens to its value? And it's not always been a reliable uh, hedge against inflation. Sometimes it has, sometimes it's not. So I like things that actually earn things. I, you know, my personal preference is, uh, you know, dividend-paying stocks, stocks with the dividends rise over time, profitable companies. I like um, securities where you're the the bridge keeper. So no matter what happens, people have to come through you. Um, you know, invest uh-huh. through uh-huh. you, in essence, or your companies that you hold um, to carry on with life. So you know, if you think about it, just as an example, by no means are these recommendations. People should do their own uh-huh. research, of course. But if you think about you know, cloud, the whole idea of cloud storage, definitely not going away. You know, that's a that's a uh, a long-term trend. Okay. So, you know, if you want to buy cloud for your business or as a consumer, <clears throat> you're pretty much going to go through Microsoft or Amazon. There's, you know, massive uh, providers in that space. So if you're holding Microsoft and Amazon, you have to look at the rest of the company and lots of figures to work through, and lots of research to be done. But just as an example of the concept, those kinds of companies, you know, they're going to be around. People are going to have to work through those companies. Awesome. So that's the kind of thinking I like. And you have a company with growing earnings, they continue to grow and pay dividends over time. <clears throat> and as you continue to invest in those companies, you see more and more dividends. You reinvest them over time, you know, through thick and through thin. And then you've got a stream of income coming. You know, if you look at this horrific, mess that we've seen of late, you know, my retirement funds, they they keep paying their same dividends. In fact, the dividends keep rising. So, you know, if you get to the point where that income is what's important in your retirement, then you're really not that fussed by what happens to the share price one day versus the next.
0: This has been so incredibly informative, and I've taken lots of notes, and I assume that my listeners are doing the same thing. Is there anything that you would like to add in summary?
2: I think, um, you know, people should invest a bit of time. You know, people sometimes, when I look at the ideas in the book, I say, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to call my cell phone provider and, you know, work on a better, I just don't have the time. Well, you know, it might take an hour. It might free up $100 a month, you know, over the long Mm -hmm. haul. That $100 a month might add another couple hundred thousand dollars to your wealth at retirement. Let me go back and ask again, do you have the time? I think you have (laughs) the time. (laughs) And, you know, the average American watches 20 hours of television a week. Wow. You could read the entire book in a couple of evenings. You could get on the phone. You could apply every single concept in this book. It wouldn't take you twenty hours. My so you're going to miss one week's worth of episodes, <laughs> and uh, and you can completely transform knowledge. your wow. your finances. That's yes. that's what I think people should do. Take that little bit of time, you know, go through Cashflow Cookbook, see which of these recipes. It's a great investment. It's about twenty dollars on Amazon. I don't know what's, I don't know of a better investment than that. You can add hundreds of thousands of dollars to your wealth at retirement. There's nothing else to buy. There's no gimmicks. Um, It's just some solid research that can make a big difference in people's finances.
0: That is an excellent summary. Thank you for that. And, there is no reason why anybody can't gain from this. You don't have to be in a certain position, can apply some of these recipes and gain. really appreciate this. The tips are phenomenal. The book sounds very simple and easy to read, like you said. And probably, like, can, do you use it like a workbook where you go, like, start with the first one, go on like that?
2: <clears throat> what I would say the best way to use the book is if they read that part one. I mean it only going to take about okay. 40 pages. Okay. And then they can look over the shoulder of somebody else going through the whole process. So you can see the results. And okay. then part two you literally read it like a cookbook. If you're making a if you're making chicken, you don't bother reading the the fish section mm-hmm, of the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Right? So Makes you sense. can literally flip through those the each recipe is just two pages long. It's as simple as that. You might look at it and say, yep, I already got that. Oh, I just reshopped my car insurance. Oh, I didn't realize that idea of getting music lessons online. Holy cow, that's mm, powerful. No How kidding. Much spending. Yes, yeah. yes. <clears throat> well, it's a great example. Um, and I actually got that one from my son who's a, a great jazz keyboard player. He was getting live lessons and he found this thing called pianopig.com. And it's piano lessons online. He can go do the same lesson over and over again. He can play along, he can mm. practice, he can pull down the downloads, mm. things you can't do with a, a live teacher. And he saved about $200 a month.
0: Oh my goodness, that's awesome. So kidding. Yes. You know, this is the kind of thing yes. not everybody thinks yes. of these things, yes. right? Yes, excellent.
2: <clears throat> so it forces you to really go through and, and really reevaluate your finances.
0: Talk about being motivational. Wow, this is excellent. Thank you so much.
2: A real pleasure.
0: And thank you for being on Never, Ever Give Up Hope, even when it comes to money, right? (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.